Um, I'm Dave Lawrence from the Political Science Department, and my colleagues are uh, Susan Pinksa, Political Science, and Ken Kilstrom, Physics. And we're going to be sharing some thoughts with you, some informal thoughts, I would say. And um, it's good to see you all today. As United Airlines says, we, uh, we know you had a choice of chapels today. And uh, <laughs> so we're uh, glad to have you here. Actually, the faculty involved in these uh, are, are saying, well, gee, I wish I was at yours, and I wish I was at yours, and so on. So um, we'll have to compare notes as to what we missed uh, after this hour. Uh, long before, I'm going to start off, and then Dr. Pinkson, and then uh, Ken Kilstrom. Um, Dr. Kilstrom. Dr. Kilstrom to you. Uh, Ken, Ken to me. Or is he, are you Ken to everybody? Pardon? Are you Ken to everybody? I better be. Half the crowd thinks it's my wife that was going to be here. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> I won't go there. Um, <laughs> Long, long before, long before September 11th, Americans have argued over patriotism. How much is enough? How much is too much? The great orator and statesman Daniel Webster once proclaimed, Thank God, I, I also am an American. Thomas Jefferson once wrote, My affections were first for my country and then generally for mankind. James Russell Lowell once said, there is something magnificent in having a country to love. Theodore Roosevelt proclaimed, The man who loves other countries as much as his own stands on a level with a man who loves other women as much as he loves his wife. <laughs> in, 1816, in 1816, Stephen Decatur said, Our country, in her intercourse with foreign nations, may she always be in the right but our country, right or wrong. One McCarthy-era bumper sticker read, Americanism, the only ism for me. Others have disagreed. One post-Civil War senator said, Our country, right or wrong, when right to be kept right, when wrong to be put right. Others have been less gentle in their criticism of patriotism. Dr. Samuel Johnson said that patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel. One Civil War-era Republican said, Treason is in the air around us everywhere. It goes by the name of patriotism. The iconoclast Ambrose Bierce called patriotism combustible rubbish ready to, torch, ready to the torch of anyone ambitious to illuminate his name. In 1911, Emma Goldman said, Conceit, arrogance, and egotism are the essentials of patriotism. Just 10 years ago, another author wrote, No matter that patriotism is too often the refuge of scoundrels, dissent, rebellion, and all-round hell-raising remain the true duty of patriots. Even after the terrorist attacks of September 11th and the continued attacks by way of anthrax, people are uncomfortable with the political correctness patriotism implies. Some school administrators are reinstituting the Pledge of Allegiance, Others are requiring the singing of not only the national anthem, but also God Bless America, God Bless the USA, the Armed Forces songs, and so on. One school has Patriotic Wednesdays. Some teachers and parents are objecting to such efforts as shameless indoctrination. These are important issues for Christians to consider. Can Christians be too patriotic? 
we do live in two kingdoms, an earthly one and a heavenly one. Also, we live in a shrinking world. As Americans, we are called to be world Christians. This means not only doing justice beyond our borders, it means viewing the church in global terms. Dr. Pinkso will discuss this shortly. Furthermore, we Americans readily participate in what has been called civil religion. This is religion that uses God, uses as the handmaiden of politics and public life, our faith. The liberal use of God in public discourse may happen because public figures believe in God. But it also is expected of them. Presidents, regardless of party and personal faith, typically end speeches with, and God bless America. Even non-believers eagerly participate, participated in the National Day of Mourning and Prayer, the Friday following the attacks. We find comfort in the easy, undemanding, and inclusive nature of civil religion. Don't get me wrong. I am a patriot. We displayed our flag for one month following the attacks until President Bush said flags could resume their full staff position. I say the pledge more often than you do. Uh, thanks to my weekly Rotary Club meetings. But I have always, always been an ambivalent patriot. Maybe it was Vietnam. The late 60s rally in Washington Mall criticizing the critics of the war. <clears throat> the bumper sticker that said, America, love it or leave it. Maybe it's my education as a political scientist. We study not only national ideals, but also national shortcomings, policy successes and failures, victories and losses, we study it all, the good, the bad, the ugly. Maybe it is those fellow Americans who worship the flag rather than just revere it. In short, my question today is simply this. Can Christians be too patriotic? Can patriotism, in fact, be unchristian? As with so many things, it's a matter of degree. I believe that patriotism is unchristian when, and I'm going to give you four points here in conclusion, one, it is unchristian when it is a substitute for critical thinking. We are called to be prophetic witnesses to the state, not priests in loyal service to it. My country, right or wrong, shortcuts our God-given ability to think. Patriotism is unchristian when, too, it boils down complex reality into simple bipolar paradigms such as us and them, good and evil. When we call others evil and they call us the great Satan, it is difficult to engage in anything but war. In our current situation, it becomes difficult to engage Arab moderates and Muslim centrists. It also fosters xenophobia back home. Also, it presumes that America is God's new chosen nation, Americans as God's chosen people. Since the Bible predates America, it can't be a scriptural notion. Therefore, it must be an extra scriptural notion and examined critically as such. We Christians need to be very careful when we use biblical passages allegorically. And lastly, it Americanizes the idea of blessing. That Americans are blessed of God because we are Americans. It cheapens the biblical concept of blessing and often equates it with material prosperity. What about those Christians living and often suffering in other lands? Are we blessed of God and they are not? What about the dirt poor Pentecostals I met in Ukraine and in Soviet, in, who in Soviet times suffered because of their faith? Are we blessed of God because they are, and they are not? 
as an undergraduate, when I was your age, I went to Wheaton College in Illinois. We had all kinds of chapel speakers from out of town come in, very successful, eminent people in their fields. One after one would come and say to us how blessed they were. And I thought, uh, skeptic that I was even back then, I, I asked myself, come on, give me a break. You are blessed because you went into medicine rather than public school teaching. It has nothing to do with God's blessings on you, per se. Um, people here in this area say they are blessed to live in Santa Barbara. No, they are smart enough to live in Santa Barbara. Um, or happenstance of work or whatever. Um, remember, the lyrics of God Bless America, the song, are not statements of faith. Read the lyrics. They are, in fact, a prayer. In 1938, that is what Irving Berlin, in fact, had in mind. Susan. Well, I'd like to begin by um, mentioning how I consider my own identity as both a Christian and an American. Simply put, I am a Christian who values the privileges and responsibilities that come with my American citizenship. Do I think, feel, and act like an American? Well, that question has become less important to me over time. What has become more important to me now is that I begin to think and feel and act more Christ-like. This has inevitably meant that I often feel a tension between being a Christian and being an American. Our college catalog states in the section um, of the beginning part of the uh, catalog, what makes Westmont truly distinctive? Well, in that section, we state that what makes Westmont truly distinctive is that we encourage students to become world Christians. As many of you know, I teach international politics. As anyone who has taken any of my classes will tell you, I take very seriously my job of encouraging students to develop an interest in global affairs. More specifically, I want students to wrestle with the commandment that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. This is a commandment that applies to every human being, regardless of national identity, gender, age, religion, or ethnicity. When we begin to take that commandment seriously, it can transform our hearts, our minds, our priorities. It certainly has for me. So, can Christians become too patriotic? I think Dr. Lawrence has already given us some helpful answers to that question. So instead of elaborating on some of his points, I'd like to suggest that one of the antidotes to excessive patriotism is found in becoming a global Christian. Now, lest you think that becoming a global Christian means giving up your American citizenship, I want to offer some reflections. I've entitled these comments, Becoming a Global Christian Means. I have seven points. I could have come up with five. I could have come up with ten. I just got tired last night, so we have seven. <laughs> Becoming a Global Christian Means. Working against all ne negative expressions of nationalism. Well, what do I mean by this? There is a small gap between feeling a sense of national pride and believing that America is at the apex of all that is best and brightest in the world. As both citizens and Christians, we need to be critical of xenophobic tendencies. This means the dislike or fear of other nationalities. We need to prevent an us versus them mentality that scapegoats other nations and views ourselves as superior. We need to care about the needs of others even when that other lives far from our own borders. Why? Well, because arrogance, pride, and self-righteousness are virtues that make it hard to be in Christ's image. But even from a pragmatic political standpoint, 
we should recognize that American engagement in the world needs to take into account the interests of others. Self-righteousness, even among friends and allies, can become a bit tiresome and unproductive. Becoming a global Christian means, too, cultivating an appreciation for the, di for the diversity of God's creation in all its forms, male and female, social, cultural, religious, and political. Doing so will likely transform our values and priorities. Traveling to other lands, the long-term study of other cultures, these engagements will often help us realize our own limitations and failings. In short, it can make us humble, teachable, and appreciative. Now, contrary to what some scholars or citizens might suggest, this does not mean that we have to believe that all cultural practices are good. But it does suggest that before we can criticize another tradition as oppressive or evil, that we have much homework to do as citizens, as social scientists, as theologians, as philosophers. Number three, becoming a global Christian means learning about the world in which we live. We have to view the study of current affairs as an indispensable part of learning to appreciate the diversity of creation. Number four, becoming a global Christian means caring about injustice in whatever form it takes, wherever it may exist, whether in Rwanda or Palestine, in New York or Afghanistan. It means that we weep at the loss of life wherever it may occur, not just when it occurs on our own soil or to our own citizens. It means that we recognize September 11th as part of a larger contemporary problem of violence and suffering that exists around the globe. It also means that we are obligated to think about the tension between state sovereignty and human rights so that we do not blindly support intervention for any reason. But neither does this mean that we should passively allow tragedy to happen, even if it is happening to them and not to us. And of course, if we care about injustice in whatever form it takes, this also means that we should be led to active involvement in correcting injustice. Becoming a global Christian means, five, becoming a reconciler. We should use our citizenship as Americans and as believers to work for a global community where terrorism, poverty, exploitation, and violence become less common and where peacemaking, justice, and reconciliation are seen as the only long-term solutions to international conflict. Number six, becoming a global Christian means admitting that your first loyalty is to Christ, not to your nation. National identity is but one small part of a person's identity. For many, for many, it is not even a central part of identity. As Christians, we need to be wary of conflating nationalism and Christianity. And number seven, the last point, which probably should have been the first point, becoming a global Christian means that we need to pray for our enemies. Now, there are many more items that I could have added to this list, but basically that gives you an idea of how to think about becoming a world Christian. You may be asking yourself, okay, but can I really be a world Christian and a patriot? Yes, but being a patriot does not mean that you become jingoistic or arrogant. It means that you see both the weaknesses and strengths of being an American. That is indeed about what America is about. It means that you are seeking justice in the international community as much as in your local or national context. And it most likely means that you realize that terms like justice, human rights, and freedom are contested concepts. These are concepts in which we must enter into dialogue with other nations and other peoples. Long-term collaboration is a part of the goal of dialogue. In this Sunday's LA Times, Daniel Terrace wrote that Americans, quote, 
worry that something essential to the American character will be lost if we dilute our national feeling with too much commitment to the international. Global citizenship and patriotism need not compete. Indeed, the one is bound to enrich the other. Now, Daniel Terrace wrote this op-ed in Sunday's LA Times from the perspective of someone teaching at Brandeis University. I don't know what his faith commitments are, but this article makes a very cogent argument for why becoming global citizens, not just Christians, but global citizens, is actually in our self-interest as Americans. Now, I've chosen not to use that language because I think as believers, we need to move out of the realm of purely thinking in terms of national self-interest and think about the injunction that we have to love our neighbors as ourselves. If there are others around this country and around the globe who think that it's important to cultivate the idea of global citizenship in addition to our national citizenship, how much more important is it for us as Christians to cultivate the idea of what it means to become a global Christian or a global citizen, if you prefer that language? So how do those seven steps that I have outlined apply to the current crisis with Afghanistan? That's really the question that I'd like you to consider in the days ahead. Um, in the paper, it mentioned Telford Work's talk, and he had sent us copies of it, which gave me the temptation to kind of memorize it and repeat it, um, but I was afraid you'd be there. Um, anyways, the, the question is, can Christians become too patriotic? And the answer is, of course, of course. Um, it's, it's probably not the best framed question. It's sort of what level of patriotism is appropriate. One of my favorite old sayings is, truth out of balance leads to heresy. And I think this is an area where there can be balancing truths. Um, when, when they brought the, the coin to, to Jesus um, and said, should we pay the poll tax? And he said, whose image is on the coin? And, of course, it was Caesar's. And he says, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, render unto God that which is God's. Well, the point that he's making is we are made in the image of God. Um, uh, we put, give our primary loyalty, allegiance, and faithfulness to the Lord, not to a nation state. Um, and, and I think that that's obvious. Now, is that because states are evil? Um, Telford points out that, that Jehovah's Witnesses um, consciously withdraw from civic life. Why? He says, um, this is not because America in particular is a government with sinful features, but because all worldly governments are instituted by Satan. You know, what does Paul say? Um, in Romans 13, he starts off, he goes, Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Um, so if you want kind of balance, I suppose you can choose between the two. Um, also, in, in 1 Peter um, 2.17, Peter says, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And so there is honor to be given to the state as believers. Um, on the other hand, I think in America, what we struggle with is the question of, is America uniquely Christian? Are we kind of the new Israel? Uh, there was a book written years ago called The Light and the Glory, which traced the history of America through Christian eyes. It's from Columbus on down, saying it was God's divine hand in founding America, in, in creating, bringing us through the Revolutionary War, through our history. Basically, we're now God's Christian nation. And I think there are real dangers in that, um, partially because it, it leads to disappointment. 
Um, I, I remember when I was in college, Jimmy Carter was running for president and early on proclaimed he was a born-again Christian. This energized evangelicals to have a politician use the words of evangelical Christianity of being born again. And, and he was elected with quite broad evangelical support, even though evangelicals tend to be more conservative politically. But once he was in office, when he would do things that would disappoint in any way the evangelicals, it's like he was toppled from his pedestal. And I think we can do that with America as well. We are a fallen people. We are a sinful people. Even if it was believing Christians holding all public offices, even Christian sin, as, as we've occasionally found at Westmont, um, and so it, you, you can't put your full trust in government. Um, Tom Skinner um, spoke at Westmont a few years back, and, and he was saying, you know, if you're a conservative Republican, do you, do you look at God as being a conservative Republican? Do you assume he must be? And, and I had real mixed feelings, because on one hand, whatever your political beliefs, liberal or conservative, presumably you've informed them with your Christian faith. And, and if you really believed that God was a liberal Democrat, but you were a conservative Republican, would you really hold those political views? So, of course, everyone believes whatever they believe politically, God must as well. But the danger is, on political matters, we don't always get it right. We don't have the holy scriptures to tell us the right answer, at least not conclusively. Um, the other thing is that Christianity really is becoming... Well, it, it has long since become primarily non-Western and primarily non-white. And so to have that direct a tie-in between the Christian faith and America as a Christian nation has problems. Um, and the disappointment comes up. I mean, when Jerry Falwell went on television and said, why did this happen? It's because America has embraced abortion, homosexuality, pornography, and so on. And so essentially God did this to us. Um, you know, we deserved it because of our sin. Um, in a sense, that was, that was somewhat mortifying. On the other hand, I think there is a place to honor America. Cultural relativism is a shrine that many worship at, but almost nobody actually believes. Um, if someone thinks they're a cultural relativist, do they really think that the cultures of, say, the slavery days of America are equivalent to the post-slavery? Apartheid in South Africa versus post-apartheid. Yes, every culture has its weaknesses, its sins, its failings, but cultures, cultures differ dramatically. Um, and I think the Christian faith can impact a culture and can make a real difference um, in, in, in how a country acts. Um, there was a, an editorial written in Romania that I just wanted to close with a few quotes, assuming I can find it in my stack. Um, he, he says, why are, and I'm going to be editing as I go, why are Americans so united? They speak all the languages of the world and form an astonishing mixture of civilizations. Still, the American tragedy of September 11th turned 300 million people into a hand put on the heart. The Americans volunteered to donate blood, give a helping hand. After the first moments of panic, they raised the flag on the smoking ruins, putting on T-shirts, caps, ties, and the colors of the national flag. On every occasion, they started singing their traditional song, God Bless America. And he talks about the, um, the concert raising money for New York, and he says, the American solidarity spirit turned them into a choir. Um, I listened for hours to the broadcast, hearing stories of a guy who went down 100 floors with a woman in a wheelchair without knowing who she was, um, of the California hockey player who fought with terrorists and prevented the plane from hitting a target. 
Um, what on earth can unite Americans in such a way? Their land, their history, their economic power? He sought for hours and he concluded, only freedom can work such miracles. You know, there is a blessing of America. It is unique in a lot of ways. It is fallen, we can never be blind to its sins. Um, but we can never forget the blessings that we have because of America and take a cynical eye. That's all I have. Um, do we want to open the questions? The, um, <clears throat> what he re referred to at the end there um, is actually a notion of American exceptionalism, that uh, America is an exceptional place, an exceptional uh, model to other, to other places. And um, in, in a sense, uh, there's, there's some truth to that. We are both not only hated elsewhere in the world, why do they hate us? We're not only hated elsewhere in the world and uh, you know regarded with disdain, but we are greatly admired in many places of the world, in places that are attempting to, to do democracy for the first time in a long time, if ever, uh, are looking to the United States, and, but not just the United States, to other um, parliamentary democracies to see how best to uh, basically move into a new world of uh, democratic governance. Well, with that, what we would like to do, uh, this doesn't, uh, you don't get a chance to do this very often up in the gym, down in the gym, but uh, some questions or comments from you guys. I will, uh, one or more of us will attempt to repeat the question for the microphone and sound system. Any questions or reactions that you have to what we've presented so far? Don't imagine that silence will get you out early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk about self-interest, huh? Hmm. Is this what you were expecting to hear when you came here? Knowing us or not knowing us? <laughs> 